says tech can't be human? I don't think people realize what you just said, but what you just said solves one of the biggest problems that I've seen in organizations in the past. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Axonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, along with another great guest. In the studio today, we have with us Terry Short. Terry is a coach, a leader, and a human potential developer. Terry is also the author of The Words We Choose, Your Guide to How and Why Words Matter in Helping Others Become Their Best Selves. And there's much more to unpack with Terry along with her courses that pair well with her book. But most importantly, Terry, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. I'm really pleased to be here. We are beyond excited to have you here because words are one of our favorite subjects of all times. Words are is what makes stories, the stories we tell others, the stories we tell ourselves, and there's so much to really unpack there. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit of your background and what you're doing today. Absolutely. Well, I like to say I took the jungle gym approach with my background, that no no absolute ladder climbing. And so I had a career in uh, in hospitality, Four Seasons Hotels specifically, and I was a leader at a very young age. At least it looks that way now. And uh, then I transitioned to healthcare. Well, before I did that, I owned my own business for 10 years. And I started doing that leadership development and coaching, consulting and such. Then I decided, or maybe I was called to uh, be a leader in the healthcare arena. And that was a phenomenal experience. So 10 years in healthcare, corporate positions. Um, and eventually when that didn't feel exactly right anymore, I went back to my own business. So I've been at it and gathering a team for the last two and a half years and putting quite the diverse team together to spread the word about the words you choose and how to empower people. So words, there has to be a story that told you that this is what I need to do. This is what I need to bring to my community, to society, to people looking to be better leaders and better people in general. So what is that story that led you down this path of words? All right. Well, I didn't ask you to where you live, um, or maybe I did previously, but um, I grew up on the East Coast. And uh, when I was 20, I moved to San Francisco. I like to say I enjoyed my misspent 20s there. And the thing that caught me there was the idea of the shoulds 
on the East Coast, and maybe it was the environment I lived in, but I was very much surrounded by you should this, you should that. And by that, this you, you might not relate to this, but you shouldn't wear white. Let me see how this goes. You shouldn't wear white after Labor Day. Yep. There you go. There you yeah. go. And open-toed <laughs> shoes and, you know, right. la, 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 all this kind of craziness. Anyway, and I, I really at a young age started thinking about what people were offering to others and then how that played out in my own head. And here I am in San Francisco where, I don't know, nobody had any sense of what I should or shouldn't do. It was just, you know, the world was my oyster. And I, that's, I started to pay much more attention to that narrative that was playing in my head and the words that I was choosing for myself, which I like to call my personal podcast. I love that kind of realization. I am also from the East Coast. So was Chris. And we did a stint out in San Jose, California. And one of my West Coast friends when I was living on the East Coast would always tell me that East Coasters are about the outcome and West Coasters are about the experience, more so enjoying the process and all the things that come along with it. And it wasn't until I moved to the West Coast to where I really found the importance of words for me, the importance of even the self-talk, talking to myself in my mind and really responding to that in a positive way. What is the difference that you've experienced when it comes to speaking out loud with your words and also internal program, the, the words that you use within your mind? Absolutely. Well, it starts there. And that's, that's what I, that's why chapter one in the book is all about that internal dialogue. So your personal podcast, you're the narrator, the director, the producer, the host, you get to decide who comes on and who you banish from coming on. Right. And so, and I'm talking about that voice that plays 24 seven. So three o'clock in the morning, I can hear my mother saying something I should or shouldn't do. So, so I, as I've, as I've gotten wiser, let's say, as I've um, aged, I've learned to control that voice. So I've learned to listen for should and say, why, why am I choosing that? That's, that's not appropriate here. I don't have to do that. And I started to insert words differently. And actually, as I was coaching, I started to experience or um, play around with this, let's say. So for example, I had a uh, hospital CEO and uh, his he had a real issue with morale and it, his leaders kept telling everyone, well, we have to do this. We have to do that. And the, the regulations are such that we have to do this with our patients. And no one was owning the outcome. Mm -hmm. So we started talking about the difference between have to and get to. And that, that seems like an odd change up, but embrace this. I mean, I coach this a lot, but this man embraced it like nobody's business. And he started saying, get to about everything. You know, we get to make this change. We get to keep our patients safe by doing this new thing that the government suggested or what have you. And so he turned it around. I mean, just as simple as that, by, by offering to his team the perception that what the difference between what you get to do and what you have to do. And he internalized that. So that's, that's him taking, taking charge of his personal podcast. I've listened to some of the conversations that you've had with other podcasters and other live streamers, and you have a little bit of a list of words that you'd never use or tend not to use very frequently. What are some of those words and what are some of the applications from a negative sense that could happen to somebody that uses those words? 
Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up, Chris. And I like to say you cannot unsee the list, right? <laughs> so you're once you see it, at, and you can't change all those things at once. So actually, Fast Company wrote an article at the end of last year about the 10 phrases or words that a leader should remove from their lexicon in 2021. And so here's some of those. So first of all, picture last year where we were COVID-wise and mm -hmm. everyone was turning to the word if. If we get to travel at Christmas, if we get to see our relatives again, if this, that, and the other thing. And simply, that, that's a real downer. You know, that's a real demotivating leader saying, if the company's able to do this, they're introducing ambiguity. Right. And so we change that up to when and just changing it up to when is that when we return to work, when we get to see our relatives again, it's much more affirmative. It's much more forward thinking. So that's a, a very easy example. One that was turning up a, a ton last year as well and still is, is but. And but is born out of us having apprehension about something. And sometimes it's born straight up out of not listening. You're contemplating what you're about to say when someone's saying something else and you say, but we'll also have to consider this. And I like to say, but's the scissors. So, but truncates and severs and the word end extends. It's the glue. It's the, <laughs> you know, the grand extender of the thought, whether it's you're speaking or someone else is speaking and you were the one offering the butt, switching that up to end. So for example, if I'm a leader and I am talking to the team about something where we won't be able to implement this thing that we were going to do, but we're still going to have to do this. You know, that's just very demoralizing. It really it severs what is really meant to be being said. So the, the leader's trying to say, we're unable to do this for this reason. Tie it back to your values and, and what the direction of the company. And based on that, our new thought is this. There doesn't have to be a but. So far, so good on those. I have more. <laughs> no, those are great. One thing I, I wanted to touch on with that, but I've met so many yes butters in my life. Those people that love to just counter argue whatever it is that you mentioned, even if it's something that's very plausible or even positive, they just like to find the other side of that solution. As a leader, how would you coach someone that is historically a yes butter and make them a yes ander? Mm, great question. Uh, first, I'd, I would call them out on it, you know, and I would say, I'd say, Chris, when you offer but as an extension, I feel like you're adding it as an extension to what I'm saying, or that's that's what you're attempting. It really quite severs what I just said. So mm. I, I wonder if you would consider the word and as an extension of what I've said. And, it, you know, so therefore you're connecting my idea to your idea. I'd love for us to be able to communicate in that manner. So if you'd consider and as the extender. So I would share with you my thoughts on, but being the truncator. And awesome. sometimes what is said, Chris, is however, those same people, they'll say, oh, okay, then I'm going to change that up. I'll say, thanks for that information, Chris. <laughs> right. However, right, yeah. Yeah, I heard someone say recently, however, is butt in a tuxedo. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. It is. And it almost feels a little abrasive when someone gives you that butt, especially when someone gives you the however. Um, and it makes me wonder, you know, when we start to relinquish these words from our vocabulary and use more positive, affirming words, 
what are some of the examples there? Like, what are some of the examples that you think excellent communicators add to their nutrient-rich vocabulary? There's so many, and we just don't think about choosing them. So choose an example of giving recognition. So again, we're um, it's a leader. Let's say the leader's out listening here. And the leader wants to acknowledge that someone did this good thing. And so they say, great job. That's it. You know, great job or thanks so much. Let's turn up the dolls on that. I appreciate you. And specifically, what do I appreciate? I'm a big proponent of tying the recognition back to the company values. So let's say someone stayed late, did extra work or what have you. I very much appreciate how you honored our value of teamwork and pitched in last night doing such and such. So I'm going to tie that all together. The words are there. The -hmm. words exist within the organization. It's a matter of kind of grasping them and pulling them into the dialogue. And it's really not as difficult as one thinks. It's it's about stopping the, the treadmill that's going and the spinning that's happening. And I like to say, practice the pause pause and think, what is my intention? I want to elevate this person is my intention. And therefore, which words should I choose in order to truly do that? You know, I'm going to foot stomp that real quick because I don't think people realize what you just said, but what you just said solves one of the biggest problems that I've seen in organizations in the past. Culture comes from its leadership and you can have all these values on the website. You could have them in a booklet that you have your employees read. But if you're not living the values and you're not scaling those values across the company, you're missing the boat. But by you talking about giving those compliments, giving that validation and tying it to the values, I think is the cheat code for extending that culture across your company. Would you say that's correct? Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. So (laughs) I'll add to that a little bit. So years ago, I wanted to write a book that was called The Fish Stinks from Its Head. (laughs) (laughs) Not so sure how that would have gone over, but that's what you're saying, right? That's, That's the truth. It's the leader is what I call the ambassador of the culture. And so being overt and intentional about weaving in values at all times, whether or not you're expressing appreciation, managing yourself or others up, whether or not you're digging into something that's um, relevant to your customer centricity, it should all revolve around your values. And that is the culture. It also combats, I, I talk a little bit in the book about we, they culture. And the types of things that people say that represent a we-they culture, well, simple as that. They say, they said we have to do such and such instead of owning what it is and tying it back to the values. You're going to find that word values all throughout my book because that's where we start and that's the foundation of setting an intention going forward. So thank you for bringing that up. This podcast is sponsored by PlexTrack, the proactive cybersecurity management platform, bringing red and blue teams together for better collaboration and communication. PlexTrack makes cybersecurity teams more efficient, effective, and proactive to help them win the right security battles. Aggregate security data from all of your sources, centralize remediation efforts, and deploy a purple teaming platform that facilitates your tabletop exercises. Claim your free Purple Teaming research report and book a demo of PlexTrack by visiting plextrack.com forward slash Hacker Valley. 
That's P-L-E-X-T-R-A-C.com forward slash Hacker Valley. So I would love to hear more about just your philosophies as a whole. It sounds like you've had, you know, many years working with people as a leader, as a coach, and even this term human potential developer. How would you summarize and sum up what a human potential developer is? Well, I believe that I'm the I'm the conduit. You know, when I'm coaching, when I'm speaking, you know, on, on the big stage with tons of people or a small group of people at a retreat, I'm the conduit to the individuals or individual reaching their potential. Uh, what I do is I ask good questions. We should talk about that in a second, about how those questions are formulated. I ask good questions and I peel back the layers of what exists for that individual. And I, I think, Chris, not unlike some of the coaching that you do, right, where you're exploring what what one's superpower is and what makes what makes their world go round. And so that's that's my approach. And when I'm speaking specifically to leaders, I believe that there are six personas of a thriving leader and that they are Ron already brought this up, um, the culture ambassador, the ambassador of the culture, the leader as coach, the continual change agent, or what I would also call a chaotic expert, the person who mm. can balance the chaos and the order and bring order to it. Because the whole idea of you know change as a static thing, that's gone forever. The life integrator, so one that can balance their, their life work balance is in order. The emotionally and intuitively intelligent leader, and there are many things under that as emotional regulation and empathy and so on and so forth. And then lastly, being a proactive and productive juggler. And I spend a lot of time, it seems recently with my clients talking specifically about that, you know, how to prioritize, how to goal set, how to juggle competing priorities and such. So, and with all those six personas, there are the words one chooses in order to navigate through the specifics of each of those personas. Let's tie this all together a bit because we're talking about words. We're talking about that personal podcast. We're talking about leadership. So tell me from the perspective of a leader, maybe someone was really good in their job field and they set out to build a company, but that does not immediately make them a great leader. Many times the podcast that they're playing in their head comes from dirty fuel. Maybe they're looking to prove themselves to the world, show their value, but leadership is secondary in their mind. How do you take someone that is using that dirty fuel for leadership and turn it into something more positive through that podcast, through the words that's going through their head on a regular basis? Yeah, I love that question. Well, I think that individual needs to take a few steps back. As I as I say, practice the pause, but this is a big pause. This isn't the in the moment I'm about to say something pause. This is like that big pause. Step way back and think about being in a position to serve others as a leader. So as you were saying that, I was thinking about the many, many leaders I've seen along my career path that you know, they're a leader because somebody called in sick or I don't know, you know, it's like they were extremely good at doing X and now the leader's gone. So will they bump into their position with little to no expertise in being a leader or they're starting a business and now they're going to have employees, like you said. So step back and think about what it means to serve others in the position of leadership. 
And when you do that, that's what gets you to those six personas. It is required. You're going to need to show up in each of those roles that I mentioned, and you're going to need to choose words that will open up the conversation and invite in those that you're serving as the leader so that you have this collaborative, uh, cohesive team that you're building. So yeah, it starts with that individual getting their arms around that because I, I don't know if that resonates with the two of you, but so many leaders don't see themselves as in service to others. Correct. Right. But that's it, right? That's the the leaders that excel and the leaders that thrive. Thrive. Here's the best example I have is so many engineers, you know, I, I coach a lot of people in tech or specifically in fintech. And a lot of the engineers, you know, they're engineers, they love in the contribution that they're making and then they become a leader. And so if you're finding joy in that individual contribution, how do you find the joy now in the individual contribution of the others? Because that's what the leader needs to do. So that's where it takes that really a big step back thinking, this is what gave me joy before. And now how does it give me joy? How will I be thriving in the position of others being the individual contributors? I've been a part of many engineering teams. Chris and I both work in the cybersecurity industry, and it almost seems like some of the times the leaders don't have the inspiration. They don't have the inspiration to convey the, their points to others. I might get a little bored or sidetracked, distracted with words that a leader says. What are some of the best practices that you've seen when it comes to influence and inspiration, especially when you look at leaders inspiring their teams to perform better or just really get the job done? Yeah. So of course, I think that's all word choice driven, right? But let's mm -hmm. let's use a real example. So first of all, if you're having a presentation, if you're having a just not even a presentation, you're having a meeting that happens every week, decide what you want the desired outcome of that meeting to be. And then work backwards from there. And so what would you, what sort of contributions are you seeking? And so for everything that you're doing as a leader and, you know, on a daily basis, contemplate what the value of the doing is. So what's the, you know, I'm going to do this because my desired outcome is X. And now what sort of effort should I put into this meeting or this presentation, what have you, based on that. And then that's what will inform the words that I'm going to choose. So how am I going to get to the point of what I, what I want to accomplish here? And let that intention setting, if you will, drive everything. So, so that the step back, I have a presentation, here's my desired outcome, or I have a meeting, here's my desired outcome, and then go into it from a place of curiosity. So, so set some parameters, set some guardrails, and then go into it, inviting others into the conversation. I, I mentioned earlier that I would get to this, the question asking. So how I invite that conversation is I start my questions with what, how, or tell me. And that's how I am more interested and interesting. I, I also like to say, ask more, tell less. So peeling back the layers of what the other contributors have, what they're holding on to is what you're doing. You're asking a what, how, or tell me about, or eventually or occasionally saying, tell me more and listening very well. That's where the joy is. That's where the leader learns that 
they can do this. They're they're in a position now to tease out the um, potential of all the other individuals. And that's just good fun. One of the things that I've used in the past is what do you see that I don't see? Because mm-hmm. there's that offers up that invitation to say, hey, there's something that I might not be seeing here. So now I'm going to give you the room, the space, the opportunity to say that thing that's on your mind. Because we tend to think sometimes that we are the end all be all when we're leaders. But really, we have to delegate those decisions to the folks that we hired because they might be better or they should be better at the thing that they're doing than we are. What are some ways that we can sort of step back a little bit more away from the ego, away from the story that, oh, they think they're better than me? Like some of that thought is so toxic in a team environment that it should just be eradicated immediately. But some folks, I think, are still holding on to that. Maybe something happened to them when they were younger. Maybe there were things in their career that makes them a little defensive. What are some ways that they can back themselves away from some of those thoughts? The first thing they have to do is acknowledge it. So if someone's listening and they're hearing this right now, does that resonate with you? Are you that person that really could have an opportunity to do a little bit of more self-awareness, exercise your self-awareness and assess whether or not you're that controlling, always have to be right, speak before everybody else type of person? And that's that's what I think you were um, identifying. And, And maybe ask somebody else. Ask us, uh, you know, play it safe. Ask us some peer or somebody that's known you for a while. Do you see me as that person? And then once you have that self-awareness, then you set about changing how you're going to show up in the meetings. And that that leads to asking better questions, sitting back, sit on your hands if you have to, and force yourself to say, so-and-so, I understand you've worked in this field, or I understand you've had some experience with this. Tell me what your thoughts are on our, our next move or whatever. You know, I'm making this up, but whatever it is that you start with, what, how, or tell me, what do you perceive the potential obstacles to be? Instead of me telling you, well, that's not going to work. This is this will be an obstacle. I If I even know, if I feel that, if I feel it in my bones that it's not going to work and here's why. I'm still better served to ask you and to uncover from you from a place of curiosity, no judgment, from a place of curiosity to uncover what your thoughts are. You're going to be more engaged. You're going to have more ownership. And what happens is the reason I say what, how, and tell me, so often we say why. The leader wants to say, well, why? Why Why did you do that? Well, well why do you think that? Why can be construed even when it isn't as judgy, mm. right? As soon as you say that, why did, why did you do that? Well, why, why was that your go-to action? Or, you know, why was that your response? Doesn't that feel judgy? Very much so. Yep. So what, how, and tell me about, and then you're, you're asking more, telling less, and then I can weave it in. Let's say I was sitting on my hands, knew it in my bones that this wasn't going to work. When I draw, not if, but when I draw out what everyone else thinks and we really bat the idea around, then it may come without me having to say it. It may come to bear that this is the solution. And now everyone was a part of that instead of me telling this is the right solution. One hidden element, I I believe, of everything that you're describing is the power of listening. You know, asking these better questions, being genuinely interested, 
But then to sit and wait for your turn to respond, like you were mentioning earlier, a lot of people or leaders will even formulate the response before it's their opportunity to respond and really digest what the other person is saying. What are some of the insights that you've learned just from the power of listening? Like what has been a story that you can share that where you saw listening work better than even communicating or speaking really? Uh, You know, I've learned this one from my children to be honest with you. And it's really quite a shame because they're 24 and 25. So I could have had this lesson away earlier. I'd have been a better leader. (laughs) (laughs) But as they grew, let's say into their teen years, at the same time, I'm listening for words. I'm, I'm thinking about asking my what, how questions so that I'm not asking questions that make them say, fine, good. You know, those monosyllabic responses. And that's when I really learned that I could be a better listener from the perspective that you're talking about, because I thought I had the answer. I'm the parent. I've already been through what they've been through. That sort of thing was gone through my head. And that's when I learned that, no, 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 no. There's no learning going on here until I back up and I truly listen to everything that they have to say. So I don't interrupt. I'm fully present. I have the right body language. I'm leaning in. I'm I'm practicing that. that pregnant pause, you know, where it's so painful to think, ah, is is something else coming? But I learned to do that with my children. And, you know, maybe a decade ago, but I sure could have used that lesson a little more up front. So I got to ask you this. And the question is, there's probably someone that's listening to this. There's a leader of a company, there's a leader of a team, or even just a leader of a family. And they've thought, You know, I've been in go, go, go mode for so long and listening to this podcast, I'm now starting to think about the words that I choose when communicating, even the words that I choose when thinking about myself, my goals, my team, my family. What is that step that they can take tomorrow in order to assess the words that they use and speak more clearly, communicate more positivity and just be better with the words that they choose? Well, let's go back to values. So I would say step one, figure out what your personal values are and start to assess how often the words you choose align with those values. So that would be step one. Step two would be to practice the pause, force yourself to practice the pause. You're, we're 20 some 30 minutes into this podcast, you know, I speak very quickly. <laughs> and so for me to practice the pause, I'm talking met nanosecond <laughs> for deciding whether or not what I'm about to say suits my intention. So the combination of the words that I'm choosing will support my values and the intention of what I'm, I'm sharing with this person or this audience is X. How do I ensure that those are absolutely aligned? That's where I would recommend anyone start. Terry, this was beyond phenomenal. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on our podcast and bestow some knowledge onto us. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, your retreats, your books, and all the great things that you have going on in your world, what are the best ways that people can do that? Well, it's Terry, spelled oddly, T-E-R-R-E, 
at shortgroup.net is my email. So shoot, straight up shoot me an email would be the first thing. On my website, shortgroup.net, uh, you can download the first chapter of the book for free. And you, that also points you directly to the learning site. So the learning site has the courses that we mentioned related to the content in the book. And the thrivingleadercollaborative.com is where we are offering the retreats in 2022 and lots more learning content related to being a thriving leader. Excellent. We'll be sure to drop those resources along with Terry's Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram for you all to stay up to date with all of the amazing things that she's doing. Terry, thanks again. We'll see everyone next time. Thank you. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.